Genesis chapter number 20 this evening, and I want to preach to you for a little while on prayer. You know, prayer, I believe, is probably the most untapped and greatest resource that the believer has. And I believe we can get a little help from the Word of God tonight, and I believe He'll help us to preach it a little bit. Genesis chapter number 20, and let's begin in verse number 1. We'll read the whole chapter. The Word of God says, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shore, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near unto her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister. And she even herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, and called all his servants, and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham, and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou, that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother." And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now I want you to look back at verse 7. Let's read verse 7 and verse 17, and then we'll pray. God speaking says, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. Thou shalt live, and if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Look at verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for these faithful that have gathered here in your house, Lord, hungry to hear your word preached. I pray, Father, that you might fill them. Lord, that you might feed them. And I pray, Father, that you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost for the preaching of your word. Lord, I confess myself insufficient and incapable apart from you. But Lord, I know you have a desire to work in our midst tonight. I know it's through the preached word that you'll accomplish that. 
So, Father, based upon that, I ask that You'd use me tonight, despite all my faults and flaws and failures. God, that You might be glorified, that we wouldn't receive any glory, Lord, that we might decrease, but, Lord, that You might increase. Father, we love You. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm going to confess to you that I'm just going to kind of give you a few thoughts that have come to my mind as I've read through Genesis chapter 20. The 20th chapter of the book of Genesis is significant for a lot of reasons. It's significant because we find Abraham leaving the will of God and going down into the land of the Philistines. We know that the Philistines are a picture of the world and worldliness if you study your Bible. It's significant because uh, it's an instance of God protecting His man. It's, uh, it's important and it's significant because the use of the word prophet that's found down there in verse number 7. It's significant for a lot of reasons, but I believe one of the reasons that it's significant, and I believe the reason that the Lord would have us preach on it tonight, is because the 20th chapter of the book of Genesis is the first time that the word pray or prayer is used in the context of a human being speaking through faith unto the God of heaven. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm sure there's plenty of times and plenty of folks that prayed unto God before Genesis chapter 20. But God has seen fit to withhold those instances from us in the narrative of Scripture because I believe He has some things He wants to teach us about what prayer really is. And if I had a goal this evening, it'd be this. I want to exhort you to pray more. You know, we all have excuses as to why we don't do any number of things. And by the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to walk along beside you and kick some of them excuses out from under me and out from under you as well. Because I believe it's the will of God that we pray. I believe that we don't have to pray about whether to pray. I believe we know that it's the will of God that we pray. I believe if there's anything missing in most Christians' lives, it's prayer. If there's anything missing in most church life, it's prayer. If there's anything missing in most evangelistic efforts, it's prayer. Prayer is the great confession of our inability. Prayer is the admission of the failure of our logic. Prayer is the means by faith to seize upon God's promises and God's goodness, not because of anything that we are or might suppose that we are, but simply because God has promised something and we're taking Him at His word. We could say it this way, that prayer is the grandest exercise of faith that a Christian can enjoy. And so as we look at this passage, I believe there's a few things that that jump out to us. Uh, It's interesting to me that the first time that prayer enters in the forefront of the biblical narrative, it's not when man's doing well. It's when man is messed up. You know, prayer's not just for the times when we got everything together. Prayer's for the times when everything's falling apart. Prayer is not just reserved to those uh, spiritual apexes in our life when we think we've finally got all of our uh, spiritual planets aligned and all of our uh, demons beat back and all of our difficulties under tow and then we have earned it as a means of communication with God. Let me say this, that prayer is not the prize of Christian fellowship. Prayer is the path to Christian fellowship. It is not the reward for those that have diligently sought God, but it is the means of us diligently seeking God. And so I believe it's significant to us that this is a chapter on failure. And in the midst of this chapter on failure, God gives us an answer, and the the answer to failure is prayer and more prayer. 
And so I want to give you five things this evening that the Lord brought to my attention as I read this passage. And this, it may take us a long time and it may not take us very long at all. Look at verse number 7. You'll find the first instance. Now, uh, if you're one of those that likes to check up on the preacher, and that's okay if you are, I don't think I don't take offense at that, then if you study, you'll find that the word prayer is used before this, or the term pray. But it's used in the sense of the idea of requesting something of another human being. But in verse number 7, the first time that prayer, in the sense of a human being by faith communicating with God, God not being present in any physical, visible, or tangible form, is found in verse number 7. I want you to notice the call to prayer that we find. Now, Abimelech is uh, having a dream. God has sent a dream unto Abimelech, the king of Gerar, a Philistine king. And God is communicating, and basically He's telling Abimelech, you're in trouble. He's saying that the woman that you have brought into uh, to your harem, as it were, and you've not been with her yet, but this woman that you've brought close, and I know what your intentions are, uh, this woman belongs to somebody else. This woman is the wife of Abraham who dwells in your midst. And God Himself is the first one that mentions as a resource the idea of prayer. And He says in verse 7, Now therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. Let me say that prayer is God's idea. Prayer is God's idea. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I, you know, I feel like sometimes we have the notion that prayer is just our feeble attempt to, to grasp hold of God. Maybe some human invention to try to win His uh, approval and win His favor. But God Himself looks at Abimelech and says, Abimelech, you're in a problem. Abimelech, you've messed up. You've been deceived. But now, uh, this burden to justify and make things right, it, it lies on your shoulders. You're the one whose uh, neck is stuck out here. You're the one who is about to die if something doesn't change. Abimelech, here's what you need. You need someone to pray for you. That's what you need. Let me say that the greatest responsibility and the first duty of every Christian is that of prayer. Prayer is the doorway through which we first, as lost sinners, approach under the presence of Almighty God. It's the means through which we communicate and commune and fellowship with Almighty God. And let's just say this, that prayer isn't just a matter of self-help books. Prayer isn't just a matter of psychology or therapy. Prayer isn't just a matter of comfort and condolence, but prayer is the very means through which God desires for His children to communicate with Him. Boy, God couldn't make it any simpler, could He? Just simply talk to Him. Just simply talk to Him. One of the things I detest, and I and listen, I'm not up here just going to fuss about other denominations or anything, but one of the things that I detest is the notion of prayer books. The idea of somebody writing a prayer uh, for you to pray. Let me say that that defeats the very purpose of prayer. Prayer is not for the purpose of you carrying somebody else's heart to God. Prayer is for the purpose of you carrying your heart to God. And, I, and we're going to say a word about intercessory prayer here in a second. I believe there is a place for carrying someone else's burdens to God. But listen, God don't want a bunch of pomp and circumstance. He wants you to speak to Him. He wants you to speak to Him. That's what He desires. He wants you to communicate and share your heart and your burdens and your desires with Him. One of the things that people always tend to ask when you witness someone and, and uh, come to the place in the conversation where they, they, they want to be saved and they want to call on God. And I've heard this a hundred times if I've heard it once. People say, I don't know how to pray. Let me say there is a great failure on the part of Christians that we would ever convey to a lost and dying world that you have to quote-unquote know how to pray. 
Prayer is just merely a matter of conversing with the Almighty God. You say, but preacher, how do you do that? Well, you do it by faith. You see, it's an exercise in faith because we're trusting the promise of God that He'll hear, that He'll listen. It's interesting to me that we come all the way to chapter 20 before the word prayer is ever applied to dialogue between Almighty God and humble man. You know why that's interesting to me? I don't doubt that folks prayed long before this. I don't doubt that prayer, the very fundamental elements of it, which is communication with God, were going on all the way back in the Garden of Eden. I mean, hey, God walked with man in the cool of the day. But there is something very significant, a great difference between the communion that God and Adam had in the Garden and what's taking place in Genesis chapter 20. And the difference is this, that the mode and means and function and operation is one of faith. I think it's significant because if you study the life of Abraham, you know that the life of Abraham can basically be summarized by two words. And these two words are inseparable. You can't have one without having the other. And that is promise and faith. God called Abraham to come out from amongst a heathen world and to go unto a land that he had not seen. And he made him the promise that him and his seed would inherit that land. And Abraham said, all right, Lord, I will step out in faith. I will respond to the promise that you've made. I believe one of the things that God is trying to teach us is that the the foundation of real prayer is that of the promise of God. God waited until He had a personal relationship based solely upon promise with a human being in the narrative of Scripture before He ever introduced the idea of prayer as a topic. I know men were praying long before that, but let me just say that prayer means nothing without promise. When we pray, we're trusting that God will hear us. And it's an attitude and activity of faith. We see the call of prayer, the call to prayer in verse 7. I want you to notice the candidate of prayer. I think this is important. Here's why. Because sometimes we get the notion that you and I were not good enough for prayer. Well, the truth is, it ain't a matter of being good enough for prayer. When you see Abraham, in fact, if this was the only narrative you had of the life of Abraham, you wouldn't think very much of him. He leaves the place of the blessing of God. He leaves the altar. It's interesting. Both times, when he went down into Egypt and when he went down to the Philistines, he didn't build an altar in either place. Because we don't build altars in the world. Amen? A Christian gets out of the will of God in the altar building business. And so he goes down, and uh, as a matter of of, uh, lack of faith, lack of trust, lack of dependence upon God, he journeys down into the land of the Philistines. He has lied to try to protect himself when he ought to be trusting in the God of heaven to protect him. He's caused his family to leave the will of God. He's causing his family to sin in uh, asking of Sarah that she lie on his behalf. And now he's brought shame to the name of Jehovah God, and he has brought a scourge upon the house of Abimelech, to whom he should, if he was going to be there, be a light and a witness to. And yet, what does God say about him in verse number 7? He says he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Now, there's a couple things I think worth saying about this. Let me say, one of the things that, that was worth saying about this is prayer isn't just for A-plus Christians. Prayer is for every Christian. Let me tell you, you say, preacher, I mess up. Well, then you need prayer more. You don't need to pray less. You need to pray more. You say, preacher, I've pretty well got things figured out. Well, you still need to pray. The Son of God prayed. Prayer 
is necessary for each and every person. Abraham may not look like much of a prophet, but even in the midst of his failure, prayer was still the resource that God pointed to to shake earth and affect things uh, from heaven. Prayer was the means of that, even though Abraham was out of the will of God. Even though Abraham was lying to cover his sin. Even though Abraham was bringing shame to the name of Jehovah. Even though Abraham was plaguing the house of Abimelech. God is not ashamed to say, that man is a prophet. And he'll pray for you. I think it's significant because uh, Abraham had messed up. But I think it's significant because God denotes not necessarily any qualities of his character. God doesn't make any excuses for Abraham. Can I put it that way? Abraham sort of makes some excuses for himself. You look down in verse number 11. Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Let me tell you something. It ain't the fear of God. It ain't a lack of the fear of God that we need to worry so much about. If the presence of God is there, the protection of God is there. Now, that may not mean much to you now, but give it about 20 years in this country, and it's going to mean something. Because we very much, I mean, we already live in a society devoid of the fear of God, basically, fundamentally, primarily. But let me tell you something. We're coming to a day when it's, you're going to have to look far and wide to find somebody that truly knows Christ and that's truly living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are we going to trust in when that day comes? Well, Abraham, he, he sort of, he makes excuses for himself. God doesn't make any excuses for Abraham. He doesn't say, well, you know, Abimelech, y'all got a pretty bad reputation down here uh, in Gerar and, and Abimelech. I mean, how was he to know uh, that you were going to be kind to him? And, you know, Abimelech, I mean, it, it just, uh, if it had been you going to Canaan, you might have took precaution. No, God didn't make any excuses. You know what he said? He said, despite all that Abraham has done, he's still mine. He's a prophet. He's still mine. And based upon that relationship, Abimelech, you ought to get him to pray for you. Let me say that, that as a candidate of prayer, it's not necessarily to denote that you're some A-plus Christian, but just simply that you belong to the Lord. Uh, we could give a thousand illustrations, and I won't labor this one long, but just suffice it to say that I don't listen to my son when he calls my name because he's obedient. I don't listen to my son when he calls my name because he does something right. I listen to my son when he calls my name because he's my son. And I love him. I love him. That's not to say that fellowship can't be interrupted. Right before we was getting ready to leave, he, uh, you know, he's, he is a boy, and boys are mean, and they do bad things. And we've got some of them vertical blinds, you know, in our, uh, in, in our den there at the house. And, and he knows, me and him, we've talked about this. And him and Mama have talked about this. Me, him, and Mama have all talked about I mean, we, He knows that if you're going to throw a ball in the den, you don't hit the vertical blinds. And uh, he had this little ball, and he took it and threw it, and it hit them blinds. And I turned around, snapped my finger, and he went, you know, and just looked at me. And he tried the thing where he'd laugh and everything. And I said, now, son, you know better than that. You know better than that. And I said, uh, don't you know better than to throw that ball? He said, yeah. And I said, are you ready to apologize? And he just started crying, you know. <laughs> and he sat down in his chair. And we said, now, son, you know what you have to do to make it right. You have to apologize. I went down into my office and started getting ready for church. And directly he come down the stairs and, and he said to me, he said, Daddy, I'm sorry. <laughs> See, fellowship was interrupted. But the moment he said, Daddy, when he was coming down them steps, he had my attention. Whether he had apologized or not, he would have still had my attention. Why? Because he's my son. 
because He belongs to me, because I am His and He is mine. You say, what makes me a candidate for prayer, preacher? Well, are you a child of God? If you're a child of God, then you're a candidate for prayer. You ought to be praying. Notice the cause of prayer in verse number 7. I told you, I'm just giving you a few thoughts came to my heart. Why did Abraham need to pray? It's interesting that God doesn't say to Abraham, Abraham, pray for yourself. I don't know why God didn't say that. I don't know if it's because Abraham had already in his heart made it right with the Lord before the conversation ever happened. I don't know if it's because Abraham wouldn't have been willing to listen to it. But it fascinates me that the first time that prayer is found in the Bible, it is intercessory prayer. What do we mean by intercessory prayer? We mean praying for other folks. That's what intercessory prayer is. Praying for other folks. Now, why did God tell Abimelech this? God did not say, Abimelech, you better pray for yourself. He said, Abimelech, go get Abraham and have Abraham pray for you. What is one of the chief causes of prayer? And we might say the chief cause for intercessory prayer. Well, I think there's two things. One, because some folks can't pray. You say, preacher, what do you mean by some folks can't pray? Well, folks that aren't saved can't pray for themselves. God is under no obligation to hear the prayer of a lost man except inasmuch as that lost man cries out in repentance to be saved, to be born again. God is under no obligation. And in fact, I think this very text suggests to us that God does not hear the pleas of a lost man except inasmuch as it relates to his soul condition. Because God would have said, Abimelech, you pray for yourself. But he did not say, Abimelech, pray for yourself. He said, Abimelech, go get Abraham to pray for you because, Abimelech, you can't pray. Let me tell you something. You say, preacher, why do we pray for lost folks? Because lost folks can't pray for themselves. They don't know to pray for themselves. They wouldn't have the wherewithal to pray for themselves. And let me say this, that, that inasmuch as you and I may have been uh, blessed and, and, and uh, endued with a, a matter of spiritual wisdom, and I think sometimes that's true in our lives, that, that God, uh, particularly with older age, as you get older, God has given you some wisdom about things. Let me tell you something. Some of you know how to pray in a way more distinct than a young person might know how to pray for the right thing. It's not to say a young person can't pray. Not to say that a young Christian can't. But some of you older folks, you've been around longer. You've served God longer. You know what to pray for better. Can I give you, for instance, it was a grand day in my life when I realized that, that I would do a lot better in preaching the Word of God if instead of praying for a good sermon, I prayed for the Holy Ghost to move and to work. When I was a young man, I didn't pray. I know I'm still young. I know... But I mean, when I first started in ministry, I didn't pray that way. I, Lord, give me a good sermon. Lord, give me the words to say. Lord, give me something that's really going to speak to hearts. Lord, and I realize that you can preach a good sermon and not get anything done. I began to pray and ask God to fill me with the Holy Ghost and to move and to work in the midst of a service. And there are times when I've distinctly said, God, I don't care whether I have a good sermon or not, as long as you have liberty to move and work in the midst. But it took some years, it took some time to learn that. Some folks can't pray, but I think that we ought to pray for folks, not just because some folks can't, but because some folks won't. Some folks won't pray for themselves the way they ought to or about what they ought to pray for themselves about. I, you know, I tend to believe, and I, maybe I am stretching a parable farther than Scripture would allow for it to, but, I, you know, I think about uh, uh, down in the far country, the prodigal, 
And I wonder how many times he prayed before he ever came himself in the, in the hog pit. I bet you a daddy that would wait for him is a daddy that would pray for him. Don't you think so? He, he wouldn't pray for himself, but I bet he had a daddy that prayed for it. Uh, one of the most interesting things, when you look at that word prayer, you'll find it all through the Old Testament. And the same word is used almost every single time as prayer, 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 prayer. But it's interesting that that same word is used whenever uh, Jacob speaks to Joseph. And Joseph has brought in Ephraim and Manasseh, and they are about to be blessed by Jacob. And Jacob, and he's known by Israel then, but he says this to, to Joseph. He says, I thought not to see thy face again. And that same word is used for the word thought. Part of the reason is because that word denotes the idea of judgment and discernment. But I think that part of what he was saying was this. I didn't even think to pray for that. It never even entered my mind that I'd ever see you again, Joseph. I never even dreamed. I, I, let me tell you something. This just blessed me. It encouraged me. He says, I thought not to see thy face again, and now I've seen thy seed. You know how gracious God is? Sometimes God don't just give me what I don't pray for. He gives me more than what I don't pray for. <laughs> That's the grace of God. But some folks won't pray for themselves. Some folks, listen, when you're out of the will of God, you usually don't do a lot of praying. And if you've got wayward children, chances are they're not praying for themselves. If you've got loved ones that are lost without Christ, I know they're not praying for themselves. Or if they are, it's not being heard. But you and I, as children of God, we have the ability and the privilege and the responsibility. Like Sam, uh, Samuel said to the nation of Israel, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in neglecting and not praying for you. You and I not only have the ability and the privilege, but the responsibility to pray for those that are around us. The first time we see prayer, it's intercessory prayer. Then I want you to notice the credentials of prayer. What kind of person, what kind of Christian do you have to be? What do you have to do for your prayers to be heard? Now, I won't say a lot about it, but let me just note this, that you don't have to be perfect to be a prayer. You don't have to be perfect to pray. Abraham was not perfect. Abraham had messed up. Abraham was messed up right here. You don't have to be perfect to pray. Some of you, you're waiting to get your prayer life right when you get the rest of your life right. But the truth is, you won't get the rest of your life right until you get your prayer life right. Uh, I'll say it again, I've already said it, but I'll say it again, that prayer is not the prize of our communion with the Lord. It's the path to our communion with the Lord. It is not the prize of a good Christian life. It is the path to a good Christian life. We need to get it in our heads that the time to pray is yesterday. The time to pray is now. The time to pray is this evening to get our prayer house in order. He wasn't perfect. And if you're waiting until everything gets worked out to pray, you're never going to pray. If you're waiting for everything to get just picture perfect for you to pray, you're never going to pray. If you're waiting to get you a good little prayer closet together and a little goat skin rug, have you ever seen people do that? Or I don't know, maybe you send off Benny Hinn and get one of them placemats he sends. I don't know, but you're waiting for everything to get just so to pray, you're never going to pray. The flesh will make sure that you're not going to pray. You say, but preacher, I want to pray. Yeah, you may want to pray, but the want to is not enough. You've got to pray. Remember what the disciples said? <laughs> what the Lord said to the disciples in the garden? He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, there's a battle within us as to whether we approach unto God in prayer. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be pure. You say, wait a minute, preacher, what do you mean by pure? Well, 
Notice what Abraham had to do before he prayed. Verse number 11. Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. They will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. You know what he had to do? He had to confess his sin. I believe what the psalmist said when he said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The psalmist did not say, If I ever commit iniquity, the Lord will not hear me. The psalmist did not say, If I don't promise to never commit iniquity again, the Lord will not hear me. But he did say, If I regard iniquity in my... You say, What does that mean, preacher, to know something's wrong and refuse to get it right? That's what it means. You say, preacher, what will hinder my prayer life? If you've got sin in your life, and that sin means more to you than God, that'll hinder your prayer life. That'll stop you from praying. He didn't have to be perfect, but he did have to be pure. He did not have to be spotless, but he did have to be surrendered. You see, we don't like that. That's tough. You know why? Because we could get our lives right, right now, if we were willing to do so. There's nothing that stops us from it. There's nothing to stop us from confessing our sin and forsaking it before the God of heaven and asking His forgiveness. There's nothing to stop us from doing that but us. We're waiting till everything works out. Most of us, if we were honest, we'd admit that prayer, that, that the area of prayer is the area where we lack the most. Most of us would admit that. And the truth is, that's silly because there's nothing to hinder our prayer except our unwillingness to confess and forsake our sin and let our prayer life grow. We see in this passage the credentials. He didn't have to be perfect, but he did have to be pure. And then notice this, and I'm done. Look at verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. If I could give you one commentary, one comment that God wants to make about prayer in the first time He introduces it, could I, could I say it'd be this? I think God wants us to see that prayer works. Prayer works. What was the consequence of prayer? Abraham, despite all of his faults and all of his flaws and all of his failures, despite being so messed up and all this baggage, despite his testimony being wrecked, despite his life being in pieces, despite the place of God and the altar of God being hundreds of miles away, when he confesses and forsakes his sin and he prays to God, God answers. Because prayer works. Prayer works. So here's the question for you tonight. Are we praying? If we're not, what's stopping us? Don't say, well, I'm not good at it, because you don't have to be good at it. Don't say, well, you know, I've never learned how, because there ain't nothing to learn how. But I'll tell you what can stop our prayer life if I regard iniquity in my heart. The Lord will not hear me. Why don't you... Nothing to stop you tonight from confessing and forsaking that sin and getting your heart in a praying condition. There's nothing stopping you but you. So the question is, what will you do tonight? What will you do tonight?